Well, welcome everybody. And uh, I just wanted to begin with a quote from Max Lucado. My wife uh, sent me um, a couple of uh, links yesterday from Right Now Media, and one of them was Max Lucado talking. And I chose not to use that for the sermon today, but I really kind of liked how he started this. He said, you know, wouldn't the church be a great place if it wasn't for all the people? <laughs> and all God's people said, amen. Uh, well, you know what? The church is people. It's not a building. But you know, the church, you know, for a lot of us, I think if we were honest, we would probably say, well, the church would be great if everybody was like me, if they thought like I did, if they agreed with my theology and my values and went along with my ideas. I think then the church would be pretty much perfect. But we know that that isn't realistic. So what is a perfect church? What does a perfect church look like and feel like? Well, the mission statement that I shared with you at the beginning is a bit of an indication. Making Christ-like disciples, a perfect church I think would be doing that really seriously. Making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Heart for God means to love God perfectly. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And Jesus said there's a second command that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's passion for people. That's our mission, is to teach our people and teach everyone who comes among us to love God more perfectly and to love one another more excellently. Um, now, the Great Commission is also part of our mission statement, you know, making Christ like disciples. Jesus told his disciples before, you know, after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead, and before he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father, he said, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them and so on. That's part of our mission statement. But it's kind of interesting when you think about this. The one thing that we cannot do in heaven that we can do now is make disciples. When you get to heaven, all of the followers of Jesus will be there. When Jesus returns and establishes his new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be there. But here's what we can still do. We can still love God, worship him, give praise to his name, and we'll still love one another, but in an even more excellent way. So. The perfect church, in a sense, if we had perfect church, that would be a vision of heaven right there. The perfect church would be a church where there is unity, a church where there is liberty, and a church where there is love. Unity in the things that are essential, which I'm not going to talk about today, but liberty and freedom in the things that are not essential where there's room for us to disagree, but in all things, while we're trying to figure that out, we must love one another. So my challenge to you is let's bring some heaven to earth. Would you do that? Can we do that? Let's bring some heaven to earth. You know, because in heaven, the church will be a bride without spot or wrinkle. Things will be as they should be. Humanity will be as it should be. Let's bring some of that down here to earth. Heaven is anywhere where Christ is recognized as Lord and King. We are to be a testimony to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to show the world when Jesus is Lord, this is what it looks like. 
This is what it feels like when he is Lord. Where he is Lord and King, you will find unity, you'll find liberty, and you will find love. And there will be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe God has called me very specifically to be a peacemaker. And I, those of you who have heard me preach over the years know that that's something very close to my heart, to be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And being a peacemaker does not mean that we ignore the problems or that we ignore the conflict. It means we go into the conflict in order to create shalom, to create peace in our families, in our churches, in our places of business, in the world at large. And that's why it grieves me so deeply when Christians fight over stuff that is trivial and petty and cause division. That was the concern of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14. And if you've got a Bible, or if you've got a Bible app, you can turn to Romans 14, and then we're going to go, today we're going to spend most of our time in Romans 15, the first seven verses, but Romans 14 and 15. What happened was, the Christians in the city of Rome were fighting over things like, what should we eat and drink? What's kosher? What's not kosher? Are there some days that are more special and more holy than other days, like the Sabbath and so on? And, and there was, um, there was, it was threatening uh, to split the church and to cause a rift, to, to drive a wedge between the believers. And Paul was concerned about it because he said, you know what, folks? The kingdom of God, this is Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or, you know, which day should you worship God and all that kind of thing. He said, it's not, it's not about that, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's what it will look like when Jesus Christ is Lord and King among his people. There will be righteousness, there will be justice, there will be joy, there will be peace, there will be unity, there will be love. And so that's what I've been preaching about the last few weeks, and I was really picking up on a lot of the weirdness and the craziness that's gone on, particularly since COVID-19 and the lockdown and going back to March 2020. Um, and, you know, there's been just a lot of conspiracies and there's been a lot of disagreement and about should our churches be open, should they be closed, should we wear masks, should we not get masks, should we get vaccines, should we not get vaccines? And all I'm saying to the church is whatever you think about that, do what Romans 14 says. Keep it between yourself and God. And you know what? Let's not judge each other. That's really what I've been talking about. Don't judge each other and do not put a stumbling block in the way of another person. And so then we get to chapter 15. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. And this will come up on the screen. He says, we who are strong. Now, if you consider yourself strong in faith, like I'm a mature Christian, you know, I got this. He said, if you think of yourself that way, then he said, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Now, he says we should bear with the failings of the week. You know when someone, how many of you uh, work uh, at a workplace like an office or a shop floor or someplace where there's annoying people? Anybody got, work around? How many of you live with annoying people? Okay, so here's what happens, is if you just decide, you know, I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to let it go, because you know it's petty, it's trivial, that's called bearing with. That's called forbearance. You just, you just say, you know what, it's stupid. I'm not going to let that drive me crazy and cause a rift. 
And so he says, we ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And that word bear is bastazzo. And you know what's interesting? When Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you remember him saying that? That's that same Greek word. In other words, he said, if you want to come after me, he said, you must deny yourself, bear your cross. That word bastazzo means to carry, to pick something up and carry it like a burden. Jesus carried his cross. And he died there. And he says, if you want to follow me, you need to bear your cross for others and for Christ and for the gospel. And that calls for self-denial. He said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. That's why the apostle Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, it's not about me. How about if we all say that together? It's not about me. It's not about me. Well, you know, you can sort of say it is in part because Jesus died for you and me, but you know what? It's, it's really ultimately about him, and it's about the gospel. So love and discipleship, following Jesus, denying ourselves and carrying our crosses, that's love, and that means that we do not insist on having our own way, but we put the needs of others before our own. And that's one of the core values we have. We have seven core values at First Church. And one of them is we put others before ourselves. That's servant leadership. We should all seek to put the needs of others before our own. And it's kind of interesting in verse 1. You know, he says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, he uses that, that term ought. And there's a Greek word for that. But it, it actually means something is owing. He's saying you and I owe something. And we need to pay what we owe. In Romans 13, 8, the Apostle Paul said, owe no one anything except to love one another. We are debtors, every single one of us, and we owe it to each other, and we owe it to Christ himself to bear with one another the failings of one another. When people are, feel, are weak, uh, when they're annoying you know, when they're uh, sick, when they're easily tempted, we need to bear their burden. So Paul is talking about self-denial as a way to pay a debt that we can never repay. And we should do that for each other and we should do that for the Lord. And he says in verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Now, what do you think that means? Okay, everybody, I want you to please your neighbor to build them up. How, how do we do that? It means that we need to adapt ourselves to the needs of others. The Greek word is oresko. And it actually does mean that. It means that we accommodate ourselves and we adapt ourselves for the sake of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 22, you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I've got my rights, I've got my freedoms, I've got my liberties as an apostle. He said, but I will choose not to use them 
for your sake. And he said, I have become all things to all people that I might by all means save some. He said, none of that stuff is about me. It's all about the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That is Christianity. So we adapt ourselves to them. Not to the point of sin, of course not. Not to the point of compromising truth, no. But there's a lot of wiggle room in there. And so it means we don't have to have our own way. So it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 13, you've got Abraham, and you've got his nephew Lot, right? And they're in the land of Canaan, and there's all this land, and they've got all these herds and these flocks, and they're feeding on the, the grass and all that. And guess what was happening? Is they were prosperous, and, and they were squeezing each other out. And so they said, you know what? We need to, we need to make a choice here. You need to... Uh, get your, your space, your property, your territory, and I'll, uh, and I'll keep mine. And you know what Abraham did? He was the older. He was the uncle. He had a right to pick first. And you know what he said to Lot? He said, Lot, I'm going to give you the first choice of the land, and I'll take whatever is left over. Think about that. And what did Lot do? He selfishly chose the lush, fertile, green spaces and he left the other stuff for Abraham. And guess what happened? You could read the rest of the story. Sodom and Gomorrah and all that, but how God blessed Abraham even though he deferred to his nephew Lot. That's the spirit of Jesus right there. And so in Christ, those of us who have power need to serve those without power. Those who are greater need to serve those who are lesser or subordinate. Verse 2, he says, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. That word neighbor is kind of interesting. He isn't talking here just about brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, what did Jesus teach about the Good Samaritan? Here's the point. Here's what we often do in in the church. We often cherry pick who it is we're going to love. And so the Jews would do this. They would cherry pick that, say, well, you know, I don't have to love that guy because he's a Gentile or he's a Samaritan or he's, uh, he's homeless or he's a person of a different color or a different culture. I don't have to love, I only have to love those who are my neighbors. And then Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he And the takeaway was, anybody that you happen to meet, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, they're your neighbor. And it isn't just inside the church. We're all neighbors. And he said, treat everybody like a neighbor, like a friend. So Paul's end game here, when he says, we should seek to please our neighbor and not ourselves, he's not talking about what we called people-pleasing. How many of you here today have a tendency to be a people-pleaser? How many would you tell yourself? (laughs) Good, okay. I have a favor I want to ask of you. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, He's not talking about being a people-pleaser in that, that negative sense of the word. What he's saying here, he says, let's do, let's please our neighbors for their good. He says, to build them up. And he's, when he says build them up, he's saying do what will help them to grow and to be built up in the faith. Because when you do that for the person sitting next to you, then you do that for Christ. Whatever you do for one of the least of these, Jesus said, you've done it for me. 
And when we do that for each other as, an, as individuals, the whole body is edified. It isn't just the person that grows deeper, grows to maturity. The whole church grows. So by bearing with each other's scruples, weaknesses, shortcomings, and sins, we serve Christ. I love this image. And this is really what the journey should be like, where if you were on a hike, on a hiking trail, and, uh, you know, let's say you're stronger and you're a better hiker and you got, you know, uh, a more sure footing and you get up there first and you reach down and you help up the person maybe who's not as skilled. That is an image of what it means to be a Christian and for those who are strong to bear with the failings of the weak. And so why should we do that? You could be sitting here and go, why should I do that? Well, then we, we need to look at verse 3. He says, even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You know what? He's saying do this because that's the example that Jesus left us, to do exactly that, to not please yourself, but to please others. Jesus' goal in life was to serve his Father in heaven. And he knew that when he served other people, that he was serving his Father in heaven. When we love our neighbor, we are expressing love for our Father in heaven at the same time. So the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus suffered for you and me. Think about who he was. Jesus on earth was the son of God. He was perfect. He was sinless, born of the Virgin Mary. He never committed any sin. And yet in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he took our pain and he bore and carried our suffering. And he's saying, would you do the same thing as God's people? And that goes beyond tolerance. What he's asking for here is when you're around people that are annoying, they drive you crazy, or they believe things that you don't agree with, or they do things that you don't completely agree with, he said, don't just tolerate them, but love them with self-sacrificial love. In this passage, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. And that's the one that says, The insults of those who insult you, God, have fallen on me. So those people who hated God hated him. And he took it. So he said, You should live in a way that is pleasing to others because that's what Jesus did. And he left you an example. But it's also the teaching of Scripture. And I love what verse 4 says. He says, everything that was written in the past, and he's talking about the Old Testament there, was written to teach us so that through endurance, the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, that we might have hope. Jesus saw Scripture and used Scripture as a source of inspiration and encouragement. When he was being tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. When Satan said, turn these stones to bread, Jesus knew that was a temptation. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. 
Jesus drew upon Scripture. Why did uh, Moses say to Joshua, he said, do not let this word of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate upon it day and night so that you will be successful and prosperous wherever you go. I spend my mornings early in the morning, and so does Colleen, we spend in his word. The first thing, you know, coffee and getting in the word and spending time in prayer every day, sitting and soaking up the presence of God because I know I cannot make it otherwise. The scriptures are there for a reason. And it's so that they can teach us and that they can encourage us as we go through this life. You take a look at stories like Abraham and what he went through. Joseph. Joseph had two dreams that he would rule over his brothers, that he would become a powerful political figure. And what happened after he had those dreams? Everything went wrong. All he could hold on to was the promise, the vision and the dream that God gave him. And God has given us his word. And God has given us a calling. And God gives us visions and dreams and promises so that we can put our hope in that. And it helps us to keep going when the going gets rough. And so he says here in verses 5 and 6, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you. Now notice what he's asking for here. This is a prayer. He said, I'm, I'm praying that God will give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. He's asking that God would give each of us a spirit of humility. Where it says that Jesus, although he was God, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. But it says he emptied himself. He came from heaven to earth. He emptied himself of his prerogatives as God. He did not insist on his rights. If he did, he would have come down from the cross and given a real beating to those who were crucifying him. But he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth in his defense. And then he says, follow in my steps. Do for others as I've done for you. That's inspiring. That's humility. Humility does not seek to please ourselves but others. We don't seek to ourselves but others. And so we need to adopt that same attitude of humility and self-sacrificing love that Jesus had. And then he says, when you do that, he says, then you will glorify God in a spirit of unity. Look at verse 6. So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come together in church and we lift up our hands and we give praise to God in song, that's a beautiful thing. I love the, the, the worship this morning. Thank you, Ryan and Steph and the team. But what does it mean to with one mind and one voice glorify God? 
Is it just singing songs? Is it just lifting up our hands in praise? Is it just joining in the music enthusiastically? What he's talking about there, he said, put away hypocrisy. If you're doing that and you're holding grudges, if you're doing that and you're standing in judgment on other people all the time and you think you're better, that you're holier than thou, if you look with disdain upon those who don't know as much as you do, you look down your nose at them and you treat them with contempt, that's what Romans 14 is talking about, that is not worship. That is not praise. That's a mockery. We need to come into the house of God when his people are gathered with hearts that are filled with love, in unity, with mind and one voice. And so the two big takeaways in Romans 15 are that we need to edify each other, to build each other up. That's what verse 2 is about, to edify and to build up each other. Do whatever builds the other person up. It's not about you. It's about the other person. We put others before ourselves. But it's also for the glory of God. Do you know that when you encourage somebody else, that you're giving glory to God when you do that? Whatever you do for one of the least of these, you've done it for me, Jesus said. He also said that if you sin, this is 1 Corinthians 8, against somebody else and you make them stumble, you've sinned against Christ. What we do for one another, we do it for Christ. We do it to him, we do it for him. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I think also in chapter 2, he says, we exist for the praise of his glory. That's why we're here. So people will see us, they will see our attitudes, They'll hear our words, our behaviors, our lifestyle, and they will look at us and they'll say, whoa, you've got something real here, something beautiful, something authentic, something that's excellent and worthy of praise. And what is it about you folks? Like, because you just don't see that anywhere else except in the church. And so he's saying in verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In Rome, there were cultural tensions, as I mentioned. There were suspicions. There was criticisms. There was callous indifference to the needs and the concerns of others. And he said that is not the church. The church is characterized, oh yes, the truth But what did Jesus say? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you what? He said, if you preach the truth, right? Mm -hmm. But he didn't say that. He didn't say that people will know that you belong to me if you preach the truth. If your doctrine and your theology is accurate, pitch perfect. He didn't say that. Why didn't he say that? Why is it in John 17, the high priestly prayer, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, by this... You know, he said, uh, Father, may, uh, as I am in you and you are in me, may they all be in us and may they be bound together in perfect unity so that the world will know that you sent me. He's saying unity and love is our testimony to the world. It's built on truth. But you know, there's things that we think are true that may not be true. That's where the humility comes in. There's things I believe that you don't believe, 
And you know what? I need to be humble enough to listen to you and say, well, maybe you could teach me something. Maybe I missed it. And that's what he's talking about here. But Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's a disruptor of love and unity. And so that's why he says, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. That scripture I read at the beginning of the prayer time earlier in the service, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to bear with the failings of the weak, with each other's failings. It's okay to talk about it, and it's okay to express our disagreements. It is. We just have to find a way to love each other through it, okay? That, that's, all, that's all Paul is saying. So we need to do this to bring praise to God. When people see our humility, our unity, our self-sacrificing love for one another, they're going to go, God is among you. They're going, to give, they're going to give praise to God. And they may not become Christians right away, but we're going to give them some good reasons to become Christians. Because <laughs> they're going to say, we don't, I don't see this in the world. I don't see this in politics. I don't see this in the school system. I don't see this in my neighborhood, but I see it in the church. Folks, blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they will be called children of God. Jesus was the prince of peace. We pursue peace. That's one of our core values as well. We pursue peace. We go into the conflict. If you've got a problem with somebody in this room, you need to pray and say, Lord, show me how I can make it right. Please show me how I can make it right. Don't wait for the other person to make the first move. Just go. We do it in order to bring praise to God. Okay, so we're going to end. What is God asking of us today? Given the, the situation in the world and all the craziness that's going on, the violence and the hate and the name-calling and all that, what, what is he asking of you and me? He's saying, pray for the grace to bear patiently with the failings of others. Realize you're not perfect either. Follow Jesus' example. Deny yourself for the common good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the common good. Not about you. Put others before yourself. Do whatever you can do to build others up, not to tear them down. And then when he says, accept one another as Christ accepted you, he's saying, welcome others into your circle of friendship. And here's the posture that we need in our world. Instead of this, you know, like, you know, looking down our nose at people, like, with disdain, with suspicion, this. Hey, so good to see you today. Open arms, not crossed arms. That's our posture, open arms. I, I think of Jesus on the cross. I wonder if that was just his arms open to sinners. You know, welcome. If any of you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. Let's open our arms one to another and do it all for the sake of the gospel. Just imagine the perfect church. <laughs> it's not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But we are called to excellence. We won't be perfect in our theology. We won't and don't need to be perfect in our doctrine. 
We don't need to be perfect in holiness, but we have to be excellent in love. In love. Imagine a church that reflects heaven, where Christ is Lord and King, where we bear testimony in our words and deeds that Jesus is Lord, where there is unity, liberty, and love, especially love. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I want to thank you today. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I'm going to sing one last song, lifting up the name of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for this passage, Romans chapter 14 and and chapter 15, and for what it teaches us in a time like this. When, Lord, we don't always agree. There are differences of opinion, different points of view, different beliefs, sometimes different values, and sometimes the teaching of Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong, and there is that gray area, and you're saying, hey, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love, so Lord, teach us to love one another. So as our heads are bowed, before we sing this final song, Would you just search your heart right now? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any sinful way in me. Would you say, Lord, show me, have I wronged anybody? Has my attitude been one that has been selfish or self-absorbed? Have I judged someone unfairly? Have I looked down in contempt and disdain upon someone who was failing or maybe who just didn't have it all together? Lord, forgive me. Lord, in sinning against that person, I've sinned against you. Lord, forgive me. Teach me to take up my cross, to deny myself, take up my cross and follow you as you taught us. And would you just ask the Lord to bring to mind this week any attitude, any thought, any word or deed that grieves the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, if there's anything at all that I say, think, or do, that grieves you, would you just, Holy Spirit, would you point it out? And I will turn away from it. And would you be teachable? Because the Bible says, Romans chapter 15, verse 3, says everything that was written in the past in Scripture was written to teach us, to encourage us, so that we would endure and not give up. Would you be teachable? Would you spend more time listening and learning than talking? Would you be a peacemaker, a unifier? And if you've been a source of division, schism, uh, 
disputes, if you've stirred up trouble in the church, in the family, in the workplace, would you ask the Lord to show you how you can make it right? It's never too late. If you've caused somebody to stumble or to fall in their faith, would you say, Lord, forgive me? Because that's against you. And would you speak and act in a way that edifies others? Say, Lord, give me the grace to do this. Because that is what you taught us by your own example and by your teaching. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we accept one another just as you accepted us in order to bring praise to God. Amen. Let's worship together.